episode 56 of Friends in Film, a podcast for topless movies and theatrical releases. I'm your host, Cooper Hood, once again joined by Josh Straley. On this episode, we're going to talk about Oscar nominations, Black Panther, Trouble with the Flash, and more. Over for you to do an in-depth breakdown over the Star Wars 8 title. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, and iTunes at Friends with Film. Josh? Hello, Cooper, and hello, listeners, and welcome back. Yeah. Good to be back once again. Absolutely. Uh, I finally got myself in the swing of things of college again. And yes. it feels really weird after a semester off, but it feels so good to well, be back you're, on here. Well, you're away now, right? So you're not yes. you're not local for us anymore. So you're traveling every week to keep up with the podcast. Correct. So listeners am, should be appreciative of, uh, of your commitment, I well, think. Well, <laughs> that seems a little exaggerative, <laughs> but it's good to be here. Yeah, uh, so what have you been up to this week? This week, um, I was able to slip in the Lord of the Rings Extended Edition trilogy. Okay. Yeah, the, the, I, Peter Jackson's best work by far. They're like three and a half hours a piece, so but um, I just I love everything about it, especially you know the score, um, like Concerning Hobbits, that just makes me feel so good, and then the the battle in two towers at Helm's yeah, Deep. It's, it's great. One of the best things possible. What was your week like though? Uh, it was a low new low week for me for movies. Uh, since we were not having a review this week, uh, so I didn't have to go to a theater. I didn't go to one anyways. Um, so I stayed and watched some movies, uh, classics like The Breakfast Club, uh, The Terminator because we talked about the Terminator reboot That's right. that could be coming uh, last week. Uh, but the one new movie I did watch, um, which isn't new necessarily, but new for me, I watched Spy for the first time, um, the Melissa McCarthy uh, ah, comedy. Right. Uh, and it, it was good. Yeah, it's not. Yeah. It's got Jason Statham in it. Yes. He, helps, he helps give it like I, a little bit of gravity. Yeah, I really liked Rose Byrne. She was really funny as well. Uh, yeah, I don't know. There's something about, I don't love Melissa McCarthy as like a comedian mm-hmm. and uh, the weird part about this movie was like for the first half, she is like he- being held back. So like the first half, I just really, I was like, oh, this movie's not very good. And then the second half, she's been able to like become uncaged and be yeah. super vulgar. And like, that's where she excels as a comedian. I was like, okay, now this is working for me. Once mm-hmm. she, like her and Rose Byrne are just trading insults that are like so over the top. And you're just like, wow, yeah, that is uh, <laughs> some not nice stuff to say, but when it, it, it worked. When it's being a spy thriller or whatever it's trying to mock, it's not working that well. But then as soon as it goes like full Tammy, yeah, it, it's perfect. Yes. Uh, Paul Feig did a good job with that. Yeah. So uh, that was, that was my week and uh, it was a big week for movie news. Um, as mentioned uh, in the opening, we had obviously the Oscar nominations and the title for episode eight, which we will get Ooh. to, but we got to save the best for last just to make you guys stick with us. Um, but if you do not want to, you can skip straight to our discussion uh, about The Last Jedi, uh, and there'll be a timestamp in the description of this episode. Hopefully, you'll stick around, but we're going to start with Oscar nominations, and uh, we'll just run through them. We'll give you guys the list of nominees for each category, plus who we think will win. And maybe some, if it doesn't line up with who we want to win, who we think, who we would have voted for, if that makes sense. Um, so for best picture, we have Arrival, Fences, Hacksaw Ridge, Hell or High Water, Hidden Figures, La La Land, Lion, Manchester by the Sea, and Moonlight. So out of those nine nominees, who do you think's the favorite? Well, I can only speak for um, four of these. La La Land, Manchester by the Sea, 
Arrival, and Hexlaw Ridge. Um, so, but all of that said, La La Land will probably come the closest. But it sounds like, and it seems like, Moonlight has the the momentum. What do you think? I think I think it's La La Land. Um, you'll probably hear me say that a lot as we run through these categories, just because I feel like they have the momentum. They got a they tied for a record fourteen nominations. Uh, it's been done by two other movies in the entire history of the Oscars. Uh, so I feel like they have all the momentum going to make a real run at just winning all the awards. And I think it is somewhat deserved. I know I didn't give it the five-star review that I know a lot of people have. Um, but personally, I would have liked to see Hacksaw Ridge win. There's no chance. But I was I'm just, I was just—I even surprised it got a nomination. Um, but that's who I would vote for if I was in the Academy. I gotcha. Okay. Uh, so best director, meanwhile, uh, Denny Villeneuve for Arrival, Mel Gibson for Hacksaw Ridge, Damien Chazelle for La La Land, Kenneth Lonergan for Manchester by the Sea, and Barry Jenkins for Moonlight. As much as I would love to see Dennis Villeneuve get it, uh, it's going to be Damien Chazelle. Yeah. La La Land, what, what, in all the elements it had, was just so great. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's his to lose. I, I could see them giving it to Barry Jenkins as mm-hmm. well for Moonlight, a uh, very well-directed film. But just the way, I mean, Chazelle, you just tell how much time he spent putting that movie together with the musical numbers and everything. Uh, that's where he shined as a director. But, again, I would love to see Mel Gibson win it because Hacksaw, of all these Oscar-contending movies, is my favorite of the group. So uh, not going to happen. But, again, happy to see him nominated for that. Um, best actor, meanwhile, we got Casey Affleck for Manchester, Andrew Garfield for Hacksaw Ridge, Ryan Gosling for La La Land, Viggo Mortensen for Captain Fantastic, and Denzel Washington for Fences. Well, it, it's probably Casey Affleck was great in Manchester, but he it's not it's not a win for him. I think it's going to be Ryan Gosling from La La Land with really? a strong push from Andrew Garfield during Hacksaw Ridge. <sighs> I hope you're right by Andrew Garfield because again, he was you my favorite. This? He was my yeah. favorite of this, but. I, I I would disagree. I think it is Casey Affleck's uh, to lose based on just the buzz this movie has. And I feel like that's the kind of performance that the Oscar likes to recognize. And I liked Ryan Gosling uh, in La La Land. I think he did give a good performance, but he is second fiddle, in a sense, to Emma Stone. So I think that it'll be Ka- – because it's, it's Manchester is definitely Casey Affleck's film – so I could see them giving it to him instead. Okay, totally understandable. Uh, best actress, we have Isabel Hooper for Elle, Ruth Nega for Loving, Natalie Portman for Jackie, Emma Stone for La La Land, and Meryl Streep for Florence Foster Jenkins. Well, I've only seen Emma Stone in La La Land, so my preference is to say that. Yes. But I've been dying to see Jackie, and people love period movies, and I think... Uh, I think it could end up being Natalie Portman. I, granted, I haven't seen the movie. This right. is all review and mm-hmm. whatnot. But I mean, so that's where I'm. I'm putting my money. Yeah, like you, I've I've only seen La La Land of these uh, nominees. So Emma Stone, I would be the only one I could vote for. Um, but if there was gonna be somebody to upset, uh, I feel like it'd be Natalie Portman for Jackie. But if I memory serves correctly, Isabel Hooper did win the Golden Globe in this category so maybe she'll ride that momentum and uh upset emma stone in that category uh best supporting actor we had mahershala ali for moonlight jeff bridges for high water lucas hedges for manchester uh dev patel for lion and michael shannon for nocturnal animals 
Well, Michael Shannon got the Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actor. Well, Aaron Taylor Johnson got Aaron, it. Whoa. Yeah. That's right. He's so, playing the, 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 the yeah. sheriff. Okay. Well, Michael Shannon was great in Nocturnal Animals. Uh, I don't know how, how Aaron did. Okay. But it's going <laughs> to end up probably being, and a lot of the talk has been Jeff Bridges from Hell or High Water. I haven't seen it, but that's what it sounds like. Can you confirm? That's who I, that's who I would give it to just because he is uh, just so... He is just so Jeff Bridges. <laughs> that okay. makes any sense. It, yeah, he's no, just perfect in that role. I know there's a lot of buzz from Hirsch Ali as well. Um, but for me, he's in a third of a film. So I couldn't, for if, I, if, if it was me voting, I would not be able to vote for him because he is such a smaller role compared to Jeff Bridges, who is present throughout the entire film of Hell or High Water and plays a very significant role. So. That's who I would like to see it too. I hope he wins, um, but I think it will probably be Mahershala. Uh, but moving on to Best Supporting Actress, we have Nicole Kidman from Lion, Viola Davis from Fences, Naomi Harris from Moonlight, Octavia Spencer from Hidden Figures, and Michelle Williams from Manchester by the Sea. Well, Michelle Williams was great as she was in Manchester by the Sea, like five minutes of screen time probably tops, wouldn't you think? Sure. Um, but it sounds like... It, I haven't seen Fences. You have. Mm-hmm. Is Viola Davis going to get it? Because that's where I'd put my money. Yeah, I think she's the lock. Uh, I feel like that's just the talk of the town. Uh, a lot of people are going in that direction. And like it's weird because Michelle Williams did have all the momentum. Mm-hmm. up. Like Going into Manchester, it was, this is Michelle Williams. She's at the top of her game. Then you go and see the movie, and you're like, oh, she's like not in this film very much. Right. And that's okay because she's great in her scenes, but it's such a small role where Viola Davis, similar to my argument for Jeff Bridges is Viola Davis plays a big role in fences. You've seen the snot scene. If you've watched the trailers and that is just like Viola Davis at the top of her. Yeah. It's gripping. So I do think it's hers uh, to lose. You know, I did, I did like Naomi Harris as well for moonlight. um, And I've heard good things about Octavia Spencer from hidden figures. So, who knows? Uh, there could be a big upset, but if I had to bet on one thing for the Oscars on what would win one category, I would probably bet all of it on Vola Davis because I feel like that's just the big favorite right now. Gotcha. Uh, moving to Best Adapted Screenplay, we have Arrival, Fences, Hidden Figures, Lion, and Moonlight. Uh, it's it's going to be a toss-up between Arrival, Hidden Figures, and Moonlight. Uh, I, if I had to bet, I would say Moonlight. What are you thinking? Yeah, I, I would give it to Moonlight as well. I would love to see Arrival get Same the here. nom or get the win. It's already got the nom, um, but I don't. I don't even think Fences necessarily deserves the adapted screenplay because it. From everything I've heard, I haven't seen the original play, but it was literally just the play on the big screen. So there's not a lot of adapting taking place. Um, so I would like to see Moonlight get the win, uh, especially if it's getting kind of shut out of all these other categories at least give it something i think i think it it deserves that much the very least um keeping with the more technical uh, categories best original screenplay we have la la land hell or high water the lobster manchester by the sea and 20th century women Uh, it's gonna be la la land i think that's i think that's a no-brainer yeah i think i think so i think it'll win um but i think hell or high water is the stronger script uh, the stronger screenplay personally. So if there was one of these that was going to upset, I think it would be Hell or High Water unless the Academy just 
loves the weirdness of the lobster that they just like that was so different that we're going to give it to you. It'll be interesting to see if they look at La La Land and say, well, he's cribbing from, you know, the glory days of mm-hmm. the 50s musical and move on to something, you know, a little bit more innovative. Yeah. Uh, best original song. We had Audition from La La Land, City of Stars from La La Land, Can't Stop the Feeling from Trolls, The Empty Chair from Jim, and How Far I'll Go from Moana. Oh, I, I, I don't know. It could easily end up being uh, The Fools Who Dream or Audition, but I think it's going to be How Far I'll Go from Moana. Really? And that's going to be a part of Lin-Manuel Miranda getting the EGOT. I I would disagree that's going to happen. As much as I would love to see Moana win, again, I feel like all the momentum is going in La La Land's direction, unless because it does have two nominees and... It's weird because I think the best song from La La Land isn't included in this. Like the John Legend one is just like, is I think it's my favorite by just a smudge, but just because like it's, it's just It's so much more fun. Right. That and uh, City of Sun or Another Day of Sun. Yeah. The opening number. Yeah. Of course. But yeah, I would be, unless La La Land gets their vote split and then Moana can edge it out because of that, then... Sure, I could I could see that happening. Um, best animated feature: we had Zootopia, Kubo and the Two Strings, Moana, My Life as a Zucchini, and The Red Turtle. <laughs> I laugh every time I hear My Life as a Zucchini. <laughs> uh, Zootopia was phenomenal, and I really think uh, it's going to edge Kubo and the Two Strings just because of its the the ability of the screenwriters to jam in so many cultural topics and uh, viewpoints. I think right now especially it's gonna put it over the top yeah i i think it's definitely between zootopia and moana um the i've seen both of them twice i moana is getting real close to being my slight favorite to zootopia but i do think zootopia does have like the stronger message the stronger scripts um yeah even though I i like the animation of moana better so if that if that plays into it then i can see i'll Disney's going to win. That's all I know. <laughs> sure thing. Uh, best original score. Uh, we have Jackie, La La Land, Lion, Moonlight, and Passengers. Yeah, well, I didn't pay attention to the score of Passengers, so I'm just going to go ahead and say La La Land. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I think it's La La Land as well. Uh, best cinematography. We have Arrival, La La Land, Lion, Moonlight, and Silence. No, Arrival's a lock. Really? Yep. I hope so. But Bradford I, Young's getting it. I th- think La La Land's going to beat it out because of those intricate yeah, shots maybe, and like, maybe. even if the, like that opening sequence isn't one take, I don't know if it is or not. They make it look like one because of the way they swoop in and out and they do feel like it just looks like it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and just the way they frame that entire movie is there's just something in every single part of the screen where it's just visually stunning in a different way than arrival. But yeah, if it's either of those two, I will be very happy. Same here. Uh, best visual effects. We had Deepwater Horizon, Doctor Strange, The Jungle Book, Kubo and the Two Strings, and Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. You know, I think it's going to be Jungle Book. That I think I said it when we did the review. It was a milestone. It was a stake, staking in the ground, Avatar 2008, this is the standard. And I think that's what's going to get Jungle Book uh, the Oscar. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it, the movie is like 95% CG, so mm-hmm. it's hard not to give it to him. Um, but I'm very happy with the five nominees uh, that were put in there. I was like, when Deepwater Horizon was on the list, I was like, that's weird. But then you think about it and you're like, 
oh, like they weren't actually on a burning like right. <laughs> oil <Yeah>. rig, like <laughs> that raging inferno. Yeah, that, Not was, real. That, was, that was fake. Okay, yeah, you deserve it. Um, last one, best film editing: La La Land, Moonlight, Hacksaw Ridge, Arrival, and Hell or High Water. Oh, I've only seen three, but my gut says it's going to be La La Land. Yeah, I would agree. So. Um, there it is. So those are those are the ones that I miss any that you are particularly interested in. You know, you didn't talk about the best foreign language film, but uh, <laughs> so you what's know, what's your favorite out of that category? Then <laughs> I haven't seen any of them. <laughs> okay, but I hear the salesman's great. So. Sure, it could be. I mean, it's an, it's an Oscar nominated film, so it probably is. Uh, but with every Oscar season, there's always snubs in any single category. There's somebody who thinks this person or this film should have got in instead of another film. Um, so are there uh, any snubs that you think should have gotten deserved? And if you're nominating somebody, who would you replace them with? As much as I love this film for the life of me, uh, Arrival. Best Picture, Nocturnal Animals isn't on that list. And I don't know how that's not possible. Um, and that's that's my biggest snub. I just uh. Arrival was great. I loved it. Mm-hmm. it it's going to be my... You know, we'll get to this later in the year, but it's going to be one of my favorites. Right. But I don't know. Nocturnal Animals was really good, too, and felt like an Oscar movie, but it's not there. Yeah. If if anything, like of these that I, I haven't seen Lion and Hidden Figures of the Best Picture noms, but I didn't love Fences. I can see why the Academy would like to give it recognition and stuff. But yeah, I, if... If I'm giving Nocturnal Animals an, a nomination for Best Picture, I'm knocking Fences off for sure. That's not even not even a contest. Um, but another one I would have loved to see get nominated would be Sing Street. Uh, it was a long shot just because there, there was no market. There was no Oscar push for it at all. But uh, if you haven't seen Sing Street, go to Netflix and watch it. Uh, it's a great like hour 45. Uh, and part of the reason I think it is such a big snub is it didn't get an original song nomination. Mm. Uh, ha- uh, Drive It Like You Stole It is easily the best song of the year coming out of film. Uh, and I think it would, it should, I don't know. I don't know what the empty chair is from Jim, but I've no doubt in my mind that I like okay. uh, <laughs> Drive I've It Like You Stole It more. I've never even heard of Jim. Right. So, and then like Can't Stop the Feeling, like that's a fine Justin Timberlake song, but like an Oscar nomination, like, I I don't know about that, um, and I was surp- I wasn't surprised to see Moana on that list, but I was surprised that it wasn't Your Welcome because I felt like that was by far like the biggest breakout song of the whole movie. Yeah, but I think I think I think you're right, but also it was more Dwayne Dwayne, Dwayne Johnson. Um, he's he doesn't have the greatest singing voice. He right. has a good one, yeah. one that you would not expect to come from that man. Uh, so, but. Alihi Cravalho singing right. How Far I'll Go. She sounds like a 30-year-old, mm-hmm. uh, you know, trained vocal, like yeah. vocalist singing that song. Um, so that, and that, that's why I think it's on there. Yeah. Uh, some other ones. I was surprised that Aaron Taylor Johnson didn't get the nomination instead of Michael Shannon yeah, because he won that. the Golden Globe. I was uh, pretty surprised that wasn't the case. Uh, there was a lot of also buzz about Deadpool potentially getting an adapted screenplay nom mm-hmm. uh, or even Ryan Reynolds getting a best actor because it got PGA, DGA and golden globe nominations. And I think something else um, a lot like th- throughout the last couple of months. 
So I was a little surprised that it didn't get anything, but I'm not upset that sure. Deadpool didn't get anything. One thing I will finally say, I think this will be the end of my at least my Oscar thoughts, is Best Adaptive Screenplay. I did want to leave Fences off there and put Patrick Ness's When a Monster Calls on there because mm-hmm. that was originally in a novel, and I was shocked to not see that on there after. Yeah, but Monster Calls, I don't think, got any nominations. No. So, Which blows my mind. Yeah. Uh, last one I'll say... Uh, I have not seen uh, L. Loving or Florence Foster Jenkins, well, or Jackie for that matter. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would have loved to see Haley Steinfeld get a Best Actress nomination uh, for Edge of Seventeen, yeah, because she is just so good in that, um, and I think it's deserved. So this is almost the year where putting your movie out too late was a a casual. Well, that was uh, it was mid November. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't. I just don't think they. They probably didn't think when they were making that movie that, oh, Haley Steinfeld is going to give one of the best female performances of the year. She did, and then they didn't have any room to do like an Oscar push and have the budget sure. to send screeners and stuff. So, uh, it's unfortunate, but that's how the Oscar season works. But enough Oscar talk. Let's move to the rest of the news that came out this week, uh, starting with. A interview from Scott Derrickson, the director of Doctor Strange. Uh, he was interviewed by Screen Rant and was asked about what other people besides Doctor Strange he would like to uh, incorporate into the Marvel films. And he said Fantastic Four. So uh-huh. do you think that – do you agree with him? Do you want to see Fantastic Four? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean the, there's not a better time to do this. Um, Because when you think about it, we're about to get, or we've seen inner dimensions now with Scott Derrickson's film, Doctor Mm -hmm. Strange. We've seen weird space stuff with Guardians of the Galaxies and soon with Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Thanos is coming to show us different dimensions. And isn't that like the bread and butter butter of the Fantastic Four? Like dimension space stuff? Sure. I mean, it could be. I think that's one way you could do it where the Fantastic Four, maybe when they go and launch into space and the event happens where they gain their powers instead of like instantly getting them, just staying in space and coming back to earth. Mm -hmm. They're like swapped into a different dimension and that they just stay there in like a, in like in a coma basically for years. And they, they could have been the coma since 1970 or something. And then you wake them, you have Dr. Strange and exploring. He's going to go fight nightmare or something in a sequel. And then he sees, this fam, this, these four or five astronauts just sitting, floating out in like space in a different dimension. Yeah, he brings them in, in like a end of the movie post credit scene. Fantastic Four is born for Phase Four. I think it has to happen. Fox has no idea what they're doing with that uh, idea, anyways. So why should it not? Yeah, I mean, we talked. I think we talked about rights last week uh, uh-huh. on the last episode, and so I don't know what the deal is here, but it's been. Three years now since Fantastic Four, summer of 2014? Uh, no, it's 2015. Okay, it's been two years. Yeah, it'll be two years in August or Three September. more years gets us at the end of Infinity War, and maybe right. it's time to introduce the first family. And that's, and yeah, and that's just assuming they wait to let the rights relapse, but I think if Fox is smart and they don't have plans, they make a deal, at, I think I've talked about before, where they make a deal with Marvel to yeah. gain uh, toy rights or just rights to market their films further so we can have a Logan action figure or a X-Men 
video game. Um, like I know, like, and they're starting to work together now because Fox is making two uh, X Men TV series partnering with Marvel because they have to have the rights. They have to get permission from Marvel to do anything on TV because they just have the big screen. They have the theatrical sure. rights for X Men characters. So, I think they could go to Marvel and say. All right, we will give you Fantastic Four, Silver Surfer, Galactus, and Mole Man, or whoever else, and in return, you, you will give us uh, the rights to make X Men toys and freedom to make more X Men TV shows without your creative input. Oh yeah, and I think if you're if that's just a straight up swap, that seems like a good trade for both parties because Fox can then further promote their films, which will then give them more money overall and. Marvel is giving one of their founding comic members and a new like stalwart franchise heading into phase four and beyond. Yeah, totally. And the, the, like you said, the toy rights themselves would be, it would be incentive enough yes. for Fox. Uh, moving on to Donnie Darko. We could potentially be getting a sequel according to director Richard Kelly. Uh, he told HMV that he wants to do a bigger and more ambitious sequel. Uh, but the big problem right now is needs to find a budget uh, to make this movie happen because the first one was made on a low budget that he wants. He these big ideas he has requires something more uh, more expensive, I guess. Um, and so, would you want to see a Donnie Darko sequel? Uh, what? No, of all the movies <laughs> that don't need a sequel, as interesting as Jake Gyllenhaal was back when he was 12 years old, uh, this movie, the story does not need a continuation or a <laughs> extended or expanded universe because I still, to this day, three, four watches of Donnie Darko do not know what happened. Yeah. I, I just want to know what happened, but I still can't figure it out. And the internet doesn't help me with it. No, there, I mean, there is no answer really. And Richard Kelly has like made that clear that he has his theories, but he likes other people's theories as well. So what does that even uh, mean? He wrote it. Right. So I don't know. His explanation was that it's a parallel to reality and that there's like, I don't know. It's it's, yeah, but if there's a, yeah, yeah, it's weird. Mm, But okay. If they did it, um, if he took inspiration from M night Shyamalan, um, and did sort of a unofficial sequel that, is then revealed to be part of something larger. I think that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, but that implies that the first movie was actually kind of good. I you mean, don't like Donnie Darko? I don't like Donnie oh. Darko. I, I mean, that's why I'm here bashing it. The only reason I've seen it that many times is because I just don't get it. <laughs> I don't. The, the rabbit's weird. The weird portals. The yeah, psych, that's it's like psychedelic. Yeah, and that's it, what's cool. Uh, I, I, it's so weird that I like it. Okay. Um, well, but moving on to <laughs> to Tomb Raider. Uh, Alicia Vikander now is a father in the film, according to the Hollywood Reporter, with Dominic West uh, joining the role. Ooh, well, he's he's great. I like Dominic West, um, and if it were, he's going to play uh, Lord Richard Croft, which mm-hmm. is her father, and I think that's a perfect match. Yeah, I think I think it's a it's a good addition to the cast. Uh, just another one. Filming is now underway on the film, so uh, the fact that they're casting him now. Uh, is not surprising and like we talked about i think it was last week when uh her sidekick was uh announced to join the film that it looks like the plot heavily revolves around her finding dominic west so i think 
he'll probably play a pretty substantial role in the film as well. With Dominic West in the role, are you warming up warming up to the idea of uh, her on a journey to find her father? Because you didn't seem to... You I, weren't initially I, sold. I like the idea. It just wasn't what I was expecting. Because okay. I was expecting Laura Croft needs to go find this artifact and that's what her and her pals are going to go do. Yeah. Instead, Indiana it's Jones. Right. Or, even, I mean, that's even like... That's what the Laura Croft movies back in the day with right uh, <laughs> but like sort of like dropping us into this adventurer's lifestyle right. instead of maybe doing a build-up or a setup yeah and I, a, I feel like this will probably be the build-up to then she'll find her father um by the end of the film he, I, like maybe he'll be part of some larger thing where he was trying to find something and it'll kind of like um it's indiana jones mm. three yeah where his dad uh, the gets last involved crusade, yeah right? the nazis and yeah. everything i think so, nazis in both but Anyway. Yeah, so uh, aren't there Nazis in all of them? I don't know. Uh, but the, I feel like they could take that path and then going into Tomb Raider 2, assuming the first one's successful, then they can go more traditional, okay, let's go find this artifact and stop these bad guys from getting it sure. sort of thing. Yeah. Um, in the second one, um, the Temple of Doom, they're just bad guys with swords. Okay. That's right. Uh, but... Uh, after reporting this, the Hollywood uh, reporter also revealed that Ralph Fiennes, Colin Firth, and Viggo Mortensen were also approached for this role. So while we have Dominic West, would you have liked to see either of these guys instead? Uh, well, Ralph Fiennes is almost too regal to take <laughs> on the role of uh, Lord Richard Croft. Um, Colin Firth, he could do it, definitely, but... Uh, with Viggo Mortensen being on here, it's almost like he was the guy they wanted for yeah. this. Because if you just look at the guy, uh, he lives off the grid. And then um, I've got Captain Fantastic in my iTunes library mm-hmm. waiting to watch it. And the previews and things like that, he just looks like an adventurer right, right. now. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he's Lord of the Rings alone. Like, he just seems perfect yep. for that role. And I, I see more of a physical resemblance or similarity between Mortensen and Vikander than I do with Vikander and the rest of these people. But I also do love Colin Firth. So if he would have got the role, I would not have complained at all. Definitely. Um, but moving on to Godzilla to King of Monsters, we finally have a confirmed director with Michael Dowertree from Krampus getting the job. Okay. Yeah. We talked about him getting the writing gig with Zach Shields a while back. Um, now Krampus is pretty great. Uh, so I think this is good. I mean, I'm interested to see where the next installment of Godzilla goes because Gareth sort of set us up to this world. But now which turn is, uh, Daltrey going to make us take? Right. So that's what I'm excited about. Yeah. I still, uh, I still have not seen Krampus, so I'm not familiar with Daltrey's work. Um, but so sure. Yeah, it's it, like it run, just, it's run it of the mill horror. I right. Mean, it's, I mean, I remember like seeing the trailer. Like that's interesting. Santa Claus is evil. I was like, wait, Dwight Schrute's not a liar. That yeah. thing actually <laughs> exists. Uh, that's all. That's the only thing I think about. Uh, sure. Whenever no, Krampus Dwight is Schrute up. is Belschnickel, which right. is different than Krampus. But Belschnickel is a servant to Krampus. Oh, okay. I like, just watched that episode like a week ago. Uh, so. I, I forgot to watch the Office Christmas episodes. I am. Um, tangent but i'm currently anytime i'm not watching anything i'm watching the office oh same and which doesn't make any sense because then i am wa- yes. like eh, yeah yeah but you it's get a good it. filler right so and i've seen it so many times but it's still just like it's great to just have on and i am now up to the s- series finale again and i got there last night and i was like 
I don't want to watch this. Yeah, that's tough. It's tough to watch. It's it hard. It's, I, it's a very sad ending. I waited like a year and a half before <laughs> I could watch it. Right. And then I was just like, all right, I'm doing this. Yeah, it's time. Um, but anyways, back to Godzilla. We have a official cast member, which is kind of surprising because the film doesn't come out until 2019. Uh, and it's Stranger Things Breakouts, the ego-loving 11, Millie Bobby Brown. Hey, this is a good choice. Yeah. Uh, terrific in... Um, Stranger Things. She's like, I think she was on the Late Show with Stephen Colbert, like midsummer when this franchise came out or the series started, mm-hmm. and she was so charismatic yeah. and know how to, you know, know how to do this. Uh, so dropping her in a horror movie or a horror movie, I don't know why I say that, but Godzilla. <laughs> like, if this is Godzilla from a it kid's perspective, how cool would that be? It'd be very cool. Yeah, I would. I mean, yeah, I think. She is. She's great. She was great in Stranger Things, like you said. Like you see her on anything, or even like the Golden Globes intro, mm-hmm. where her and the rest of Stranger cast are rapping. Like it's yes. just great. Like she has that presence. Where you're just like, I like you automatically. And mm-hmm. she's only 12 years old, which is crazy. So by the time this movie like comes out, she'll be like just about 15. Mm-hmm. I don't, depending on when her birthday is, I have no idea. Um, so. I do think it's smart and it gives them a young star to bring into this now called Monsterverse. So Monsterverse. Yeah, that's what they're calling the Godzilla Kong universe that cool. legendary setting up. So maybe she'll stick around for Godzilla vs. Kong. I have no idea. Um, but I, yeah, I'm interested to see not just what her role is, but just the role of humans in general and then the plot yeah. uh, of this film. When choosing a kid almost lends itself to the title a little bit easier to call Godzilla the king of monsters. Because mm-hmm. it, almost, it almost seems kind of out there for an adult to be like, Godzilla, wow, he's the king of monsters. But the little <laughs> kids are like, yeah, yeah, he is. You yeah, know what I mean? That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Uh, but going back to Daughtry real quick. Okay. We've seen Kong Skull Islands tone and tempo and how that's working you know john c Riley being in there changed things up in that second trailer yeah do you think godzilla is gonna take a turn towards that too or do you think king um, kong will be its own type of thing i think king kong will be its own type of thing because not only is it's obviously it's a different franchise but it is also set in a different time period so you can maybe get away with um that because it takes place in the 70s i believe oh yeah so okay. uh maybe I mean, there's ways you can kind of get around that tonal difference uh i hear i hear the 60s and 70s were totally fine right yeah they they were great (laughs) uh i mean i don't know i wasn't there um anyways moving to a different uh monster franchise in the the sort predator the predator reboot uh, coming from shane black uh has added again more cast members we're talking about this movie like every single week it feels like uh because production's going to start soon so they're finalizing their cast and the Hollywood reporter broke Two stories this week about casting, one being Jacob Tremblay from The Room and the other being former Punisher Thomas Jane. Uh, character details about Jane have not been revealed, but they were about Tremblay's, but then The Hollywood Reporter took down the details that were on their page, which is interesting. So this could be, this could they could have been working on wrong information, but at the time that the story broke, they reported that Tremblay will be playing Holbrook's son, uh, who is autistic, but also plays a key f- role in the film because he is quick to understanding new languages, s- implying that he will be able to speak to the Predators. Whoa. 
Well, it's definitely now a Shane Black movie. I mm-hmm. mean, every what, what Shane Black movie doesn't have a kid other than like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Right. Uh, it's it's a staple of his. It's a good to have that perspective in the movie. Jacob Tremblay, uh, who is fantastic in the room. I'm looking forward to seeing him in Book of Henry soon. Uh, so great. Um, Thomas Jane. I've seen him as the Punisher. Not great. Mm-hmm. It was a pretty bad movie. I do love when he gets to beat up the huge clown. I, yeah. think, I think that's pretty fun. Uh, but he's in Sci-Fi's The Expanse. Okay. I think you can get it on Amazon Video or watch mm-hmm. it there. Very good. Okay. He's great. I don't know what role he has to play. He'll probably die very early. But uh, I'm glad to see him on board with this. Yeah, I would assume Jane is the muscle of this group that Boyd Holbrook is apparently assembling that's going to consist of him, Trevante Rhodes, uh, Keegan Michael Key mm-hmm. and uh, Sterling maybe Brown. Sterling K Brown if he yeah. gets roped into it, depending on what part of the government agency he is aligned with. Um, but yeah, I think this is interesting. The idea that they're going to talk to predators, I don't necessarily love. Sure, um, because what do you say to a predator? Right, a killing machine. The <laughs> ultimate like, killing yeah, machine. Yeah, is Jacob Tremblay then going to speak predator back to them? Like that just. That seems weird. It could be funny. It though. could be funny, but uh, so yeah, I have no idea. I still have faith in uh, Shane Black because he doesn't—he hasn't done me wrong personally, and he was involved with the first Predator movie. He wrote the movie. He was in the movie, um, so I, he knows this franchise and knows what's going to work. So I, while not sold on these story details, I'm still going to. I'm still interested in what they mean for the larger yeah, picture. Yeah, I hear you. Oh, and Olivia Munn. She's on this too. Right. I don't know where she, she comes is, in. She's a, a reported scientist. Gotcha. So I don't think she wants to be in the field unless she gets roped in and I don't, I don't know. She'll be like the damn little trash or something. I have no idea. Well, that could be, or or it could be really cool if her and Tremblay have a relationship together, like playing off of each other because that would be pretty good. Yeah. Too. I mean, maybe oh, interesting. All right. Yeah. Who Shane knows? Black's movie is moving along. Great. Yes. It's going to start production. I think next month. So in February. So, right. uh, and then it comes out next February, I believe, or next March. So it'll be before we know it. Uh, another upcoming sequel. We have Sicario two, AKA soldado collider. had the chance to interview screenwriter, Taylor Sheridan, who is on, who wrote and directed hell or high water. So he is now, uh, has Oscar nominations attached to his name, so which is very cool. And he is returning to write the uh, Sicario 2 script. And Clyder asked him about what necessarily he's looking for, and he said that the thing he is most interested in seeing is how Benicio Del Toro and Josh Brolin operate uh, without a chaperone and without the restrictions of a U.S. government. Um, so that's why the film is moving to Mexico for the plot, I believe. So they don't have to worry about, okay, well, what can and can't yeah. soldiers do under U.S., like, in U.S. soil? We've got to read them as Miranda rights. Right. So oh, now they're going away. Uh, and he said, uh, you've seen Sicario. Good isn't going to factor into uh, it too much. Oh, my goodness. I mean, you, if you've seen Sicario, you know, like, the, the guys are, it's close to being unhinged or brutal. I mean, they're, they're close. Benicio's kind of unhinged. Yeah, and now you take them out of that situation and toss them into this. I mean, oh boy, here we go. Like yeah. this, I, we're not. I'm not think, no, I don't think we're. I don't think we're talking John Wick action, but no. we're gonna see some like some serious uh, take in type 
torture st- like it, it whatever I this it, is gonna be crazy it's gonna be ruthless yeah. I think that's it's just gonna be like if you've seen Sakaar you know how the movie ends uh, and Benicio's sort of last quest and you're just like if that is this movie for an entire two hours like that's just gonna be nuts mm-hmm. and uh, Brolin and Del Toro have great chemistry and their characters work together really interesting Incredible. Um, so even though I loved Emily Blunt in the film having her be out of it and just focus on them too and some other story that they're involved with uh, I think that's that's a win right there. A, a 21st century Western is what is what this is kind of like. It's what I, it's the impression I'm getting from this, mm-hmm. and that would be amazing. Right. Uh, moving on to Black Panther, we have a synopsis finally because production began on the film, and it confirmed that Martin Freeman is going to be returning as Everett K. Ross, as will Andy Serkis, as Ulysses Claw from Age of Ultron, and. Along with the casting announcement came the synopsis, which reads, Black Panther follows T'Challa, who, after the events of Captain America Civil War, returns home to the isolated, technologically advanced African nation of Wakanda to take his place as king. However, when an old enemy appears on the radar, T'Challa's mettle as king and Black Panther is tested when he is drawn into a conflict that puts the entire fate of Wakanda and the world at risk. Ooh. Uh, so... This is this sounds amazing, doesn't it? Yeah, I think this is this lines up. We haven't really got much actual plot details about the film, except for like a brief, unofficial summary Lupita Nyong'o gave at like Comic Con, yeah, and uh, where she was basically like, okay, well, the movie's about two threats that come to Wakanda, and then it's about Black Panther getting the help of the Dormilaje and the CIA, which is most likely more the JCTC. I think is Martin Freeman's government organization um and seeing them that group of people fight against the two villains which i assume is going to be andy circus and uh michael b jordan's eric killmonger so so i I like the sound of it except for the end where they like take it from just being this is about wakanda and they're like but this also affects the whole wide world I was like, I don't necessarily well, need that. Yeah, I because hear you. I I was under the impression that kind of like Ant Man, this is going to be a movie about something isolated in a sense, where it was just about Wakanda, a threat to Wakanda, and T'Challa figuring out how to be a king and dealing with this threat that just pertained to Wakanda and didn't have global disaster implications or whatever they're implying mm-hmm. here. Okay, well maybe. Maybe it's like if we don't stop this now, it'll spread all over the place. So maybe it's maybe it's it's abstract, like the Red Scare. It was really only in Russia and a few, you know, Baltic states. But we were panicked because if we didn't, you know, stop it, no one else would. So maybe maybe that's just implying that T'Challa's got to take care of this, or else Circus and Jordan uh, are going to, you know, wreak havoc on other nations. But this all sounds cool because it sounds like an uprising. It sounds like Jordan's working with Circus to bring in vibranium armored soldiers that are going to be able to beat back the technological, the, like the, the whatever Wakanda's got. Mm-hmm. Because whatever, however they show off Wakanda and its technologically advanced country, uh, is going to be, it's going to make or break this for me in, in a way. I mean, mm-hmm. there's so many great pieces here, but, uh, I'm I'm super excited to see 
what the what they do with with this place right uh so so in the synopsis it also mentions that one of these enemies will be an old enemy do you think that that is referring to claw or more to michael b jordan as eric killmonger or potentially we know mbaku the man ape is in here as well so which of the three do you think is that former enemy i think the former enemy is claw uh, circus, any circus is claw. Um, because if he's one that smuggles the vibranium out of Wakanda, then, um, you know, there's obviously some kind of, mm-hmm. you know, like not cat and mouse, but he's the known villain, the known criminal right. that they are, they're, they're dealing with. Mm-hmm. Uh, man ape just sounds like a guy that's going to pop up and cause some trouble early in the movie. So we get to see black Panther kick some butt without waiting 25 minutes. Yeah. I think man ape's going to be either that or like the distraction in a sense that, uh, I think this old enemy is referring to Eric Killmonger, uh, Michael B. Jordan's character. Okay. Um, because I feel like that make that makes more sense. Even though I do think Claw is also a known threat to them, because in Age of Ultron, he is harboring out vibranium somehow of Wakanda. But then there's all they also make reference to that he's been doing this for years. Um, so there's obviously a previous connection between Claw and Wakanda, and I feel like it'd be more of Claw and T'Chaka to uh, Black Panther's dad. That would be the former enemies. Um, whereas if Killmonger and T'Challa kind of were raised together as friends, but also rivals like at the same time. Rivals, yeah. So, like, we know that there's going to be a flashpoint or a flash flashback in the movie that shows T'Challa um, in school in America. So, I'll be interested to see if maybe that's where he meets Eric for the first time uh, as another Wakanda trans Wakandan transferred student or something, and then. They're rivals at school. He comes back. He finds out that T'Challa is the prince of the of the nation. That further fuels this uh, this rivalry. And then once he comes back to then be the king, then that's when Eric Kamagur goes, "Nope, you're not fit for this. I was better than you than school. I'm better. I'm a better leader. I, I'm I'm better than you in these ways." And then he goes and finds claw finds man ape and it's like let's take him down because he's going to ruin this country it will be very interesting i mean like there's so many things like I want, i'm really anxious to see and i know you we're getting too pretty deep on we you know, <laughs> summary here but i'm anxious to see not anxious but i am very intrigued to see what ryan kugler does with the with the 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 theme, the broader themes that you can kind of see from the Russo brothers and their mm-hmm. Captain America films. Um, and I'm, I'm wondering to see what he plays at here with a, a very unique and important um, Marvel property, yeah. especially focused on the continent of Africa yes. and everything else. I think there. it'll be very political. Yeah, absolutely. Um, which I which I think or, would be great. Yeah, political or just, or just you know maybe maybe not overtly political, but like correct. political undertones. So yes. almost in a sense where Zootopia was kind of political in a sense, but it wasn't just like you have to kind of look for that. Yeah. Where I feel like it'll be kind of similar in this case. Yeah, especially if especially it'd be really cool if you see if he does a deep dive or you know into and this is totally boring guys i know but if he takes a deep <laughs> dive this into is deep diving like wait till we get to the last jedi if, you know if it's a deep dive into you know maybe the history of you know african um c- 
continents and countries mm-hmm. and things like that. But anyway, that's my and I feel like yeah. like twenty we, cents. Yeah, we still have, we still have a year to discuss this one, so uh, we'll get we'll, there. We'll, have, we'll have a lot of time. Uh, but another movie we'll have a lot more time to talk about and speculate on and theorize about Ooh. what it's going to actually be or if it'll actually come out. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, it's going to be the Flash because just last week we were talking about. We were too hard on DC because <laughs> they know what they're going to do. And then they'd come around this week and uh, they hit me in the gut again uh, because they <laughs> yeah. they're, they ordered a page one rewrite for The Flash, according to Variety, and they hired uh, Joby Harold to do it. Apparently, okay, well, if you don't know what a page one rewrite means, it doesn't just mean we're going to rewrite page one of the script. It means we're scrapping the entire script that was previous. You are a new writer, so you're going to write something completely new. Well, you mean, you mean page one doesn't mean they're just going to change the title credits? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so now that that's the case, they're go- they have to wait for to find a director until this script is finalized. So that way they can show a director, okay, this is our vision. Then they don't run into problems with FAMU and Smith like they have in the past where you bring them on board, have them write the script, and then... They give their vision, and then Warner Brothers goes, "Oh, that's not what we want." Right. Well, that's why I was that's what was hard to do. <laughs> well, we don't like it, so you have to do this instead. And then they leave, and now we're here again. Um, so they have to wait to find a director until Harold finishes the script, and it couldn't even be filming now, anyways, because Ezra Miller is currently gearing up to start filming on Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them too. So his schedule is very busy. So. Figuring out where to fit this in comes a whole nother problem. Um, but Harold's uh, other credits include the upcoming uh, King Arthur Legend of the Sword movie uh, starring Charlie Hunnam. And he's also he also wrote the Robin Hood Origins film that's going to come out next year starring Taron Edgerton and uh, Jamie Foxx, among others. So... What do you uh, what do you think about this? Well, for the for the record, I was less hard on Ben Affleck that I yes. was fair, DC, fair, yes. DC executives. Agreed. But I took back some of what I said. Now, this right here, while my gut instinct is to say, oh boy, this this is actually a good idea. Mm-hmm. Phil Lord and Chris Miller have had a run at the script. Mm-hmm. Um, F- Smith did. Family U.S. sure probably, you know, he, made some, cha- he made had some a, changes. He had a final draft ready to go. Until he left. Yes. So that's, you know, that's in the body of work. You've got, and I'm sure there were two or three other guys that worked on this script sure. as well that remain nameless. You've got six or seven different different voices, very unique styles, all on this script, with so many directions. You need you need to reset. Mm-hmm. And maybe and sounds like Harold's got some work. I mean, I haven't seen King Arthur. Uh, Guy Ritchie's, you know, the Guy Ritchie directed movie it doesn't look like it's going to appeal to me. Nope. But I'm gonna I'm gonna pass. But you know, he's got the experience. Yeah. So. I, one other of his credits, apparently, it's it's not a official credit, but apparently, he also did a pass on the Edge of Tomorrow script. Okay. Which was the script, the version of the script that got uh, Tom Cruise to sign on. There so you go. How much that changed from where his pitch was, or if that is even true, that's just something I've heard going around. So. Proceed. Sorry. Yeah. No. That's that's a great. That's a, see. That's a great point, though. And there's another. You know, um, notch for his belt. So I think it's good and it's important to get one person on one vision for this movie, especially if they want to get it right. 
I'm disappointed that all of these people have had a pass at the script and none of them got past, you know, the Warner Brother blockade mm-hmm. or censors or, you know, whatever was keeping it back. Uh, Jeff Johns was vetoing it. I don't know. But it's, it's important to have one person get this right so we don't get a suicide squad, um, you know, three, five, three, five, six different versions or you yeah. know, whatever the case is. It sucks to see all those great people's work get thrown out, but it's important for a good movie or a watchable movie because that's what we're going for right, right now yeah. <laughs> uh, to get this right. Um, and you seem I'm more just, disappointed. I am disappointed because this was the project of all the DC films. If you would have asked me at the beginning of 2016, what are you most excited for? Or maybe after BVS. Uh, once I actually had like an exposure to Ezra Miller's version of The Flash, I would have said The Flash. Absolutely. You got Ezra Miller, who's a great actor. You have Rick Famuyiwa, who is a great director. There's no reason for me not to be excited for this movie. And then Famuyiwa leaves. And even before then, they were like, we're going to introduce Cyborg. It's going to be a buddy cop movie. It's going to be really cool. And I'm like, that this all sounds great. This is exactly what I want. Um, and now the movie is just like, indefinitely delayed in a sense because like we're i i like that they're taking their time mm-hmm. because i don't want them to just go all right well let's bring on another director and use family a script even though they don't like it um because we just need to get this movie out so it can hit its 2018 release date that was previously set in 2014 good but it's just there's so many of these movies from DC that go through the same process over and over. Yeah, and so far they have not proved to work out for the best. So I'm hopeful that like, I know um, like Aquaman underwent an extensive rewrite over the summer. Uh, and then they hired that guy to do the script for a Lobo movie. What, which, which why even working out? If you can't figure out how to do a, a flash movie, Stop working on Lobo and focus on Flash. <laughs> <But> like Deadpool. <laughs> sure, whatever. But that's complete. Uh, uh, but yeah, so I'm just really bummed that I feel like come November, Ezra Miller is going to be the breakout of Justice League. Regardless of whether the movie is good or not, I am pretty confident that I'm going to come out of the movie going, man, I can't wait to see a Flash movie. And coming into this year, that would have been March 2018. So I would only have to wait five months and that was great and now i might have to wait until 2019 2020 who knows um so i'm just i'm just really bummed that this is the case uh but it's it honestly doesn't surprise me because literally that previous morning i was just like driving somewhere i can't remember where and i was thinking about the flash movie and i was just like man when are they gonna find a director for this movie mm-hmm. they should if they're from problems with the script just scrap the flash movies because i i we don't have we haven't heard anything about Cyborg either. Scrap Cyborg and just make a Titans movie. Yeah. That would be the way to go. DC loves those team-up movies, obviously, between BVS and Suicide Squad. And now uh, Justice League, that's three of their first five movies where you have multiple heroes involved. Uh, I feel like that's the way you can do it. And then you could spin off those characters and do something else. As much sure. as I would love to see a Flash movie, if it's a Flash and Cyborg-led film... And then along the way, you bring in Nightwing. Uh, oh, that'd be fantastic. Uh, like Speedy uh, or like anything else. And like that'd be, that'd just be great. Um, I, I don't think that's going to happen, even though like 
I read an article on Forbes by Mark Hughes where he speculated that that could be a possibility um, and that he expects the film to now come out in 2019, which included a really interesting East, uh, like side note that he believes Gotham City Sirens is going to come out in 2018 because they're... It's got a director. It's got a script. Yeah. Well, it doesn't have a script I mean, as far as we know. Well, I mean, it's seems to be more in place than the Flash is. Sure, now. but again, we we had that movie announced when in November. Yeah, and if they're like gonna start shooting it, and they, I mean, if they if it's gonna come out before Aquaman, it has to start shooting in the next like two months. And I know Margot Robbie's busy filming her her, her like Tanya uh, something biopic. Tanya Harding. Yeah, the ice yeah. skater. Yeah. Uh, that's what I thought, but I was like, I don't want to mess it up. So I was going to, I know it's Tanya. I know because the movie's called yeah. I Tanya. Um, I know she's busy filming that right now in Atlanta, so it couldn't film anyways. So who knows? But it's just like, it's again, DC's inconsistencies of they don't, I don't think they know. I know they know. I know that they don't know what they should do. Sure. Yeah. And, and that just, that just frustrates me as somebody who wants to have the DCEU thrive. Absolutely. And it's, it's hard when, and we want to try not to do this comparison often, but when you look at a well-oiled machine making movies that you like, you love based off of content that you love, um, and you see it not working as smoothly on the other spectrum of things you also love, mm-hmm. it's hard not to feel like a desperate consumer, like, Oh, why can't I have that now? I want right. it now. But we've, we've been desperate to see these DC movies for a mm-hmm. while and they have, we've, I've bashed them. I've bashed yeah. them, you know, multiple times and I've done it again. Um, but I'm okay with this. I think this is a good idea because I would rather see them make something that they can be proud of that I can watch and say, they, they cared about that. They didn't care about money. Right. And I'm cynical about that, but this actually makes me feel better about the flash going forward. Not DC as a whole, <laughs> but flash as a movie itself. Right. And I think like that comparison you're making is obviously a reference to Marvel. Yeah. And, or, you know, even Star Wars. Right. Or, and I think that's, that's the thing that's frustrating. And I, obviously this people try not to make the Marvel DC comparisons as much as possible. But I think in this case, it just shows how differently they're being run right now where Marvel studios and Warner brothers announced their slates for the next up for the next six years, up mm-hmm. until 2020 back in 2014, if my memory serves correctly. And, they did it. They, even the fashion they did it was different. Marvel held this big event, had press there, had fans there to get people excited. Warner Brothers just announced it in like a meeting. Yeah, they're like, "Oh, here's a press release. We're having all these movies. Mm-hmm. Cool." Yeah. Um, but outside of that, like, I have no problem with you announcing a slate and making changes. Sure. If those changes are for the best, gotcha. because Marvel announced their Phase Three slate, and it didn't have a Spider-Man movie. It didn't have an Ant-Man 2 in there, and it uh, had an Inhumans movie at the end. Obviously, once you make if once you get the rights back to Spider-Man, you make a Spider-Man movie, and if that means you have to push back Black Panther and Captain Marvel three or four months, that's fine, because that movie's still coming, Definitely. and I'm and I'm getting a movie that I'm also looking forward to in the meantime. Yeah, Ant-Man uh, two, same same scenario. You announce that movie. You push back one other film. I think they actually moved up Captain Marvel when they announced it mm-hmm. because it was, yeah. It was set for like 2020 or something like that. Right. And it's like, okay, cool. Like I get an extra movie. Like 
that's awesome. Um, and in humans, which I was, well, I would still love to see an Inhumans movie. I'm going to get that kind of as well as a TV show. So it also it also goes into play that the level of the content where Marvel Studios has earned the right for me to go, okay, I would have loved to see a Captain Marvel movie before Ant Man two, but I also loved Ant. I also really liked Ant Man. Of course. So and there's no news on Captain Marvel, so I don't need you to f- push that forward instead of this movie, which could be ready sooner. Yeah. Whereas DC, we have been very critical about the content they've put out so far. Correct. And I've, all the news surrounding the development of their films uh, doesn't make you uh, confident in the way that they're going about cre- crafting this universe. So the comparisons are there to be made. Uh, obviously, it's not going to make or break DC. It's going to, it's good. Their universe is going to be best served depending on how they go about making their movies not worried about Marvel. Definitely. I, I agree. I agree a thousand percent. It's frustrating as a fan um, who loves this stuff, but also making things is hard, right. especially at this scale. And if we, if they're tired of being digged at being awful, then this, this is a good move. Right. And just to end this, if this is the case, I would love, I would love to see them just come out in a public announcement and say, okay, we that that slate we announced in 2014 it's not right that those are not the date that we still are hoping to have movies come out on those dates but mm-hmm. not necessarily those movies that we announced way back then yeah so that way it's like okay it's a it's a fresh slate for dc to go we're working on all these projects and when they are ready then we will tell you when it's going to come out instead of me looking at a counter going Oh, you know, uh, a Shazam movie is slated for 2019. Mm-hmm. That's weird. <laughs> yeah, sure. So I, th- I think there's there are ways that they can fix the mindset going around about the DCEU, and it starts with making a great Wonder Woman film. And if that's the case, then my my mind will be changed partially. I mean, not completely, but right. it it's, it's baby steps. And I yeah. think as long as they're not trying to win everybody back in one single film, move then they can get to be at a level of the mcu or star wars in terms of making not only making a lot of money with their content but producing quality films at the same time completely agree uh but moving on that was a long topic about the flash because it kind of divulged into (laughs) the future of the dceu and everything it's a messy subject yes but let's move on to star wars but not episode eight just yet. We'll get there in just a little bit uh, because Woody Harrelson may have actually confirmed who he's going to be playing in the young Han Solo movie. We know he's going to be the mentor. And in an interview with variety, they asked him straight up, are you Garrish Shrike? And he said, uh, who, what, what are you talking about? And then everybody, he's, he's like with like five other people at this Facebook live thing. And they're like, don't, don't say anything. Don't say anything. Don't say anything. And he's like, uh, Sure. Which made everybody assume that he is Gareth Shrike. Yeah. Makes me believe that that is the case. But then there have since been people who have gone, well, did he actually confirm it? Because he didn't say, I am Gareth Shrike. Is he confirming he's the mentor? Is he confirming he's in Han Solo? What is he confirming precisely? What do you make of all of this? Well, Garrett, if he is Gareth Shrike, who is basically like the abusive adopter of Han Solo from the first Star Wars expanded universe, Han Solo trilogy, uh-huh. all all three great books. Um, that means 
this movie could go dark. Yeah. And I, I kind of like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, a PG-13 Star Wars movie by Phil Lord and Chris Miller. It's a dark comedy, but also action right. and Western and heisty. <laughs> so like, you know. It's a lot they, of genres. They, they say the script is amazing. Uh, I'll believe them. If that's the case, this place, this movie is going to go places uh, that, you know, pull your heartstrings all over the place. Get you angry, get you happy, get you excited. Um, it seems like he was saying sure to maybe the people telling him to be quiet, <laughs> but it also seemed like it could fit that that role as well. Right. Um, it give Han Solo a bad backstory, you know, a, a mm-hmm. disappointing one that would make you like the character even more going forward. So if this is the case, great. If not, watching Woody Harrelson get to talk about him and him, him being in Star Wars was really cool too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I think he is Garrett Strike because if he wasn't and Pablo Hidalgo, who was the guy that really started this whole, well, did he confirm it thing? Mm-hmm. He is notorious for just stopping rumors in their track and saying, no, Darth Maul is not Snoke. No, <laughs> Snoke yeah. is not this previous person. So if he wasn't Garrett Shrike and he wanted to stop this speculation, he would have said, no, you know, would he just mess with that reporter or something or he misheard him? He's not Garrett Shrike. Absolutely. Absolutely not. He didn't do that, which makes me again believe that he is Garrett Shrike and not, I don't, I haven't read any extended universe stuff from Star Wars, but yeah. reading up on the character is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so I hope it is the case because I think it makes it, it it makes it appear that it could be a very telling story about you know how Han Solo is raised, shaping who he was as a person, seeing that bad influence from a father figure, um, and then they obviously have like confrontations down the line, which I don't want to like get into details in case they potentially adapt that directly. Right. But uh, I think it opens the door for a lot of interesting possibilities uh, and makes me even more excited that Woody Harrelson is on board the Han Solo movie, which is all you ask for. Absolutely. So that's it for the news, which means we can get to the last piece of news, uh, which is the real big discussion of the week because we both love Star Wars. Yes, we do. And Star Wars gave us the best present they could as of right now because we're not going to get footage yet. But as we've discussed before, Star Wars likes to make their announcements randomly without making a big deal about it. And Monday morning, I'm just sitting on my computer looking for a story to write and then see a thing pop up in my tweet deck and it's uh star wars episode eight the last jedi poster logo we have a title there it is i sent it over to you i was like oh my gosh this just happened uh before we get into our thoughts on the movie i know we just keep delaying this thing but just quickly how does it how did your reaction to seeing this title compare to seeing the title for episode seven this was actually, a, for me, it was bigger than seeing The Force Awakens. Because when they dropped The Force Awakens, it was like a year a year away still. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even close. Like, oh, we got a title for Star Wars The Force Awakens. wonder what that means. Oh, it means that they're bringing Star Wars back. Right. It's waking back up. This is actually relevant in time. <laughs> and I was like, holy smokes, The Last Jedi. Here we go. Right. It's, it's happening. And that, and that was sort of my... Uh, that was sort of my reaction when you hit, hit, hit me up with this the other day uh, on Monday. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. 
Yeah, I know it. Like I like I feel the exact same way. Like I remember seeing having a very similar experience with the episode seven top dropping where it showed up on Twitter. I was like, oh, cool. Episode seven, The Force Awakens. Yeah, but I like you it. weren't like a super fan then. Either. No, no, I was still like, I was like, oh, like I knew there's another Star Wars movie coming out. I was ready. I was interested to see it, but I was like, okay, cool. The Force Awakens. What does it mean? There's a little fun you can have there, but it's like, okay, well, some there, there's a new force wielder. That makes a lot of sense because how are you going to continue this otherwise? Gotcha. Uh, this one I saw and I was like, oh my, The Last Jedi, what does it mean? And I just needed to know everything and everybody's opinion I could find. And like the other day for work, I had to drive uh, some packages up to a church that was an hour and 15 minutes away and go there and back in the morning. So what I do, I download a bunch of podcasts that were theorizing about the title, and that's what I listen to for the next, for the three hours straight, basically. And I think there's a lot to unpack in the title. And so we are here to give you the one-stop shop for title discussion. First off, do you like the title, The Last Jedi? I think it's a great title. I think it keeps it it's simple. It tells a bit of a story uh, of the movie, um, at least what I think of the movie. Right. And uh, it doesn't give away too much either. And, I mean, that's all you can ask for in a mm-hmm. Star Wars title. It asks, it, it says something, but it also asks a question at the same time. Like, if you can take every Star Wars title, put a question mark at the end of it, and you can be like, What? You know, like, you know, it almost asks that question uh-huh. with the exception of, uh, you know, the original tri- or the the prequel trilogy. Right. Uh, so like I think it fits Phantom in. The Phantom Menace? Yes, exactly. Attack of the Clones? It doesn't work. It doesn't yeah, work. They're, it doesn't all, work they're all verbs. <laughs> uh, the original trilogy is adjectives. Um, so, yeah, I liked it. Where, where were you on this? Yeah, I, I think it's a great title. Um, it made me so excited for the film, which is so there's no other franchise even a Marvel, I mean, maybe once they announce the title for for Avengers Four, if it's Avengers First Galactus or Avengers Fantastic Four or something crazy, then that could get me really excited. But it's just like just this little nugget of information gives you so much to talk about, and I think it comes at a perfect time where Rogue One's been out in theaters for over two months now, where. If you've wanted to see, I mean, it's even, I think it's going to end its theatrical run here. Uh, actually, it might have this last week um, where you where you no longer can see The Force Awakens or you're, you're getting close to where you can't, not The Force Awakens, Rogue. watching Rogue One yeah. again in theaters until it comes out on uh, DVD in like April or something. Yeah, so March. It, it comes at a perfect time where people are, there's no news coming out about Rogue One because everybody's seen the movie. All the Easter eggs have been found. All the discussion points have been had. And then Star Wars goes, all right, well, it's perfect time for this next one. Here is The Last Jedi. And it just takes, it just took over like my life <laughs> for yeah. like 24, 48 hours, maybe even longer, well, probably even longer than that because it's all I've been thinking about pretty much all week. Yeah. Uh, I've had like this notepad in my phone where I'm like, anytime I, had, I thought about it, I was like, oh, maybe this is what it means. And mm-hmm. I, would, I would type that in real quick just because I don't want to, I want to have every theory possible covered for this discussion. Um, and we will give our opinions on what we exactly think it means at the end of the discussion. So we're going to go through the potential meanings for the title first 
to kind of give a breakdown of all the different scenarios that could be had. Yes. Um, and before we get into specifically who we think the last Jedi could be or what that means, I think it's important to first address that Jedi is singular and plural depending on its form. Mm-hmm. So do you think this is a, this is, a movie about the last singular Jedi or the last Jedi plural, or I don't know if this means differently, but the last Jedi as like a whole. Yeah. Uh, well, if before the prequel trilogy, they were only Jedi, mm-hmm. they would never call them Jedi Knights. Yeah. It's not mentioned once in the original trilogy. So like you said, it's plural when you say Jedi. Um, however, it's when it's the last Jedi grammatically, it's singular. Okay, sure. Because it's not the last of the Jedi. Sure. It's the last Jedi, which is singular. Okay. So I think that theory dies out pretty quickly, and I, I don't mean to like right totally knock it down. No, it I, could be I think I think it could also I think it could still serve both meanings in sure. a sense because if you are talking about the last Jedi, mm-hmm. singular, depending no matter who that is, if it if that person is the last Jedi, then there's the implication that there's no further, there's not going to be further Jedi. Yes. So it could be both the last, it could be a movie about the last singular Jedi, but also the end of the Jedi order. Correct. If taken at face value right. without context. Exactly. Which is what this whole discussion is about. So. Okay. Oh, okay. Gotcha. <laughs> um, so with us now debating the singular or plural, uh, there, I think there's three big theories about who this could be referring to as the last Jedi. Okay. The biggest one, I think it's pretty clear that's Luke. Mm-hmm. Uh, because Yoda says to him in episode six, yep. when he's dying, the, when I'm gone, the last of the Jedi you'll be. Uh, in the episode seven crawl, it says uh, Luke is in hiding or Luke, the last Jedi, is is gone or whatever. Yep. It calls him the last Jedi in the title, but also Snoke refers to him as the last of the Jedi uh, while speaking to Kylo. So multiple references made to Luke. Um, do you think that that could be... What do you think about it potentially being about Luke being the last Jedi? I think right now, before I dive into my all of my details mm-hmm. here, I think that's one of the strongest ones. Um, and for reasons I'll get to later... Uh, I'll say why, but I think this holds up rather well. What about you? I mean, do you, is it is it as simple as that? I, that's the thing, because it is it is very simple in a sense. Where you go, the last Jedi. Luke is a Jedi. He is the only known Jedi mm-hmm. at as this time. So obviously is referring to him. But there's also because of like all the things laid out, where they kind of, they they've made such an obvious reference that Luke is the last Jedi. Is it too obvious? <laughs> yes. Okay. Where it, it's making me question, okay, well, who else could it be? Mm-hmm. Which brings us to Ray. We know she journeys to Octo to give Luke his old lightsaber to request, most likely, for him to train her in the ways of the Force to be a Jedi. Uh, so could this title potentially be meaning that Ray is going to be the last Jedi? And Luke passes the torch. Yes. Very possible. Mm-hmm. I think that holds up is it holds up well, not as strong as our first one, but uh, Ray, I mean, is we're shown Ray to be our 
protagonist in The Force Awakens. She dominates Kylo Ren in that uh, lightsaber battle on Starkiller Base. And she went to Luke to not only to get him, but it looks like, you know, to receive training. And she's clearly Force sensitive. And I think that is, I think that's also an implication in the title. Yes. Uh, the last theory about who the last Jedi specifically could be referring to that I had, could it be Kylo? Yeah, that's what people are saying. Which I have been talking about ever since the movie. Yep. That I think it'd be really interesting turn to see him make the switch, make have Ray be the villain or something, or have her. I've talked about either her being switching over to the dark side, and then later becoming the true balance of the Force, where. She is no longer a Jedi or a Sith or a Knight of Ren or whatever faction of light or dark you fall on, but she is a force wielder in the purest sense where she is not strictly Jedi, strictly Sith, strictly good, strictly bad. But away from that, because I might expand on that later. Yeah, uh, no, yeah, we'll get to it. Kylo, I think there's a, a few different reasons that he this could be referring to him because by all accounts, he is the last Jedi that Luke trained. So, so to speak, the, yeah. The, yeah. As of, I mean, we don't know exactly how the timeline Correct. fits, but yeah. he is the last living Jedi that right. Luke trained. According um, to all exposition from the Force yes. Um And we'll get to maybe the, the poster itself, I think, also maybe could talk about this because of the red lettering. Uh, does that you know, imply that this is going to be a Sith or Knights of Ren heavy movie. The f- one of the first, the first official poster, it seems to have the red logo. Yeah. Um, that seems to be staying that way. I should say. Yeah. Well, I mean, we'll have to wait and see obviously, but of I mean, course, uh, I think, I think that is also telling us. Do you would, do you think that this is a possibility that the last Jedi could be in reference <laughs> to Kylo in a way? Ever since people saw, um, and I'm, I'm an emotionally deep and conflicted uh, dark Jedi on screen. They're like, oh, but he's still good at heart yeah, because right. he killed his father. <laughs> and, and I was like, wait, what? He, and then the rationale goes, he didn't kill him right away. Yeah. And Han Solo knew he had to die right. to convince Snoke. Han Solo to, grabbed the lightsaber and put it into himself. Right. <laughs> and Adam Driver was angry actually at Rey because... She was, she was getting too close to him. To him. Yeah, exactly. That I don't buy that. Yeah, I I buy the conflict of Kylo Ren, um, you know, hesitating to kill his father, but that's because he's surrendering himself to the dark side. It's, um, it's equivalent to some Star Wars mythology about uh, like Darth Bane and how he has to give something up to start the Sith legacy, um, which involves him, uh, you know, doing some evil things to people that he loves, quote unquote. Uh, and then you can draw that parallel to Anakin Skywalker. Mm-hmm. So that seems to fit in line with the Sith myth- mythology. Yeah. Um, but I, I think Kylo Ren is going dark. He's staying dark, and Rey is moving towards the light. Um, I did love what you talked about earlier about moving between labels. That's such a like a, you know a millennial thing, uh, <laughs> and I think I, th- I like it because I yeah. think it speaks to it. Also speaks to some. Star Wars expanding universe mythology, Mm -hmm. which is really cool. Uh, But I don't think Kylo Ren is switching teams until, you know, he's facing the end of his, you know, his days. So that's where I'm at. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
uh, do you have any other before we get to maybe the lettering itself or yeah the, uh, about what this could potentially be meaning um other than that the only other theory that i really liked you know see pe- to see people toss around was jar jar binks no. oh my gosh <laughs> i did see a fan no po- I, I saw a fan poster <laughs> it's like at the last jedi and it's jar jar binks right in the middle of the crash. okay i hate the internet sometimes <laughs> Uh, I did see something. It was equally funny, but it was just, uh, it was the Force Awakens logo slapped up there. It was um, the Last Jedi logo stacked up there. And then in blue lettering, it was another Star Wars Episode Nine's title mm-hmm. stacked up there. And together it read, The Force Awakens, The Last Jedi from his nap. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I thought that was a good laugh. Yeah. Um, but it does speak to an idea that maybe the titles are making a sentence do you think that could be a thing i think that's a little too that's too weird it's too um hans zimmer you know like secret cody so Mm -hmm. uh i don't think they're going that route yeah i don't that that'd just be weird because like what do you call the title of the of the episode nine then the force awakens the last jedi you have to start from Mm -hmm. or you something know, so be before yeah it has to be a preposition right which it, is that would be weird yeah it'd be star wars episode nine before exactly Blake, which i don't i don't like yeah so um the red lettering we've seen this kind of before with star wars mm-hmm. um with uh episode six previously being called revenge of the jedi yeah. before they switched it to return of the jedi um, and then even some posters or some marketing for episode three had the logo in red as well, uh, which some have taken to mean that there, anytime a Star Wars movie has a red logo, there is some switch in the force or the balance of the force switches. Some character makes a turn, whether it's to the light or to the dark. Um, do you what do you think that the red lettering could mean? Do you do you buy into that theory at all? Yeah, it it actually plays a part to plays a part of you know what I think this okay. is all about. Um, and it's okay. I'll go ahead and spell it all out. Sure. Here. Let me know what you think. Um, early in the Revenge of the Jedi drafts, Lawrence Kasdan had and George Lucas had a totally different ending for the movie. It wasn't Endor. It was Kashik. They weren't Wookie. They weren't Ewoks. Mm-hmm. They were Wookies, and there was no party at the end <laughs> at least no party that involved luke skywalker yeah um instead of uh you know high-fiving everybody and dancing with ewoks luke skywalker walks off into the sunset after not only striking down his father but emperor palpatine as well so that's a that's a darker star wars movie yes it is that you know would be sh- i'd be shocked today like i don't think i could fathom that today. <laughs> right um and that's when it was called Revenge of the Jedi. Lucas changed it all up. One, because marketing reasons. Two, because Jedi don't get revenge. They, you know, that's not what they're all about. Uh, but that idea still was out there and a lot of people liked it, especially J.J. Abrams. Uh, there was a round table with him and Mark Hamill. It's out there on the web that you can take a look at. And he talks about how he really thought that was the route they were going to go. Luke kind of surrendering to darker ambitions or aspirations being in a dark place um so when we see the last jedi i think we take that at face value luke skywalker is the last jedi he's called it multiple times we believe them uh it's you know the when somebody tells you who they are you know believe them type of deal so the red lettering um i think speaks to episode six origins 
where where Luke was then. And I think we're going to take a look at, in this movie, Luke Skywalker's pain. And that's a, it's a token, it's a, it's a harken back to something that happened or previous. And we're going to see, and like Adam Driver said himself, this movie's going to explore characters. So we're going to explore 30 years of what happened to Luke and how he's made a shift from being a new hope to being the last Jedi. And that's where I think we are. I think it's, I just think it's these little, um, these little Easter eggs that you can point from Star Wars mythology. Uh, and that's where I'm at. Yeah, and I think that's interesting. It kind of falls in line with what, what I'm thinking as well, where um, I think it's an interesting, like that that mindset of Luke being the last Jedi, and depending on how you interpret what that means, that he's just the last Jedi for now, or if that means forever, I think I, I'm under the mindset that I, what I would like to see happen is he's the last Jedi by choice and that he doesn't want to train Ray in episode eight, where maybe he does it reluctantly. Eventually after a force ghost Yoda appears to him and says, you have to do this or something happens, some inciting moment where he realizes, okay, I have to, I have to try to do this in some sense. But what we know is throughout over the last, ever since the end of episode six, he has been in hiding on a journey to learn more about the Jedi how their practices, how they were established, going to Jedi temples, just trying to figure out what the Jedi are actually about because he is the last of them. And I think it'd be interesting along the way if he realizes that they aren't the perfect, you know, order. They aren't, their practices are not pure. They're not the best way to go about things. And he goes, he's thinking to himself, if I isolate myself on Octo, I'll be the last Jedi. The Jedi will perish with me and the end of the Jedi Sith feud will come to a conclusion with me because if I don't train anybody, then there will be nobody to learn the Jedi way later on. So uh, for me, I think the title does imply the double meaning that it's about Luke being the last Jedi and it's also the end of the Jedi as a whole. Uh, and then you can bring in that idea that I'd really like where Ray is not Jedi or Sith, not good or bad. Mm-hmm. She is a fully fledged force wielder. And I feel like that's been something that stuck with me ever since the ending of episode seven with her battle with Kylo is she is, she is using her emotions to win that battle. Like you see it when she strikes him down, there is, there is rage. There is emotion just flooding out of her. Definitely. Where that's not the Jedi way. And I feel like for her, going to Luke then and going, okay, well, if you're going to be a Jedi, you can't use emotion. She'd go, but... Right. I've seen that, it work. That, that's my thing. Like, I know that works really well. And But, but she still has that mindset where she's seen Kylo and see him sed- seductive to the dark side where she goes, but I don't want, I don't want that. If, as long as I can control my emotions, then I can be a powerful force wielder. And I really like that idea moving forward because it breaks us away from kind of the repetitive Star Wars style of, okay, good versus bad, Jedi versus Sith. The Jedi win some, the, 
but then ultimately it's normally the Sith that come out on top in some way, whether the Jedi know it or not. Um, and then it, it just it, it opens up the world for, I think, more possibilities for more Force builders where you don't have to necessarily define somebody as, oh, are you a Jedi? Are you a Sith? You're just, oh, you're a Force builder. Okay, are we are we on the same page? So I think I think that just opens up Star Wars to a new uh, level of storytelling that could enhance that universe moving forward. Because you have to think Lucasfilm's not just playing a five-year game where they're starting with The Force Awakens and come at the end of Episode Nine and the third anthology film that they're going to go. All right, that was it. Right, they're building a grand narrative. Right. And I feel like to do that, you have to move beyond just the Jedi versus Sith because after a while, how many different iterations of that story can you tell? Yeah. Um, so you think you're moving to an end game with the with what has once dominated Star Wars lore? Yes. Cool. Um, and I, you still have, you obviously you still have lightsabers because you can't have Star Wars without lightsabers. But right. I mean, even in like Star Wars Rebels, they've introduced the idea like. Um, and, like, and like and like through Clone Wars, yeah, the dark saber. Even with um, Ahsoka Tano, she left the Jedi Academy before she was a Jedi, but she is still a Force wielder, and she has like she has a white lightsaber. Um, she battles with Darth Vader, goes toe to toe with him. Like she know, like she is a strong Force wielder, but she is not a Jedi. But she's all, but she has the moral compass where she's not using the Force in a wrong way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just I love that idea where you can move past this battle of okay it's good versus evil where you 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 gray it up a little bit and okay yeah you you blur lines between who is on what side um, I think that's the idea that I would love to see them uh, go with and it in uh, you know and speaking to Star Wars mythology here we talk, we see Palpatine talk to Anakin in Episode three you know about well. The dark side was just banned because they didn't like how people were using the Force. They thought mm-hmm. they were dabbling in unnatural right. things. Um, so that's why the Jedi, you know, banned it. But if it could save a life, Anakin's thought and rationale was, well, isn't that worth exploring? Uh-huh. But obviously those ideas get corrupted. Darth Vader, Emperor Sidious, and some horrible logical fallacies lead to, let's murder the Jedi. Right. <laughs> uh, you know? Um, the younglings. Exa- yeah. <laughs> That that scene is still. Uh, I, I I still wonder if they should have done that, but and I mean, it's PG thirteen, right? We'll but I mean, there. you don't show anything, obviously. Correct. But it's still like okay, that, yeah, like that is what dark a stuff. Four year old kid, yeah, that's crazy. Um, but anyway, uh, jumping to some expanded universe books mm-hmm. um, in the uh, oh shoot, the new or the new Jedi Order book series. Um, Luke and company and his you know Jedi Knight entourage that he's built up over the last. 30 years when that series takes place in canon or in the, the old canon, um, they discover, oh, maybe we should use some dark side and the unnatural abilities because it's not so much going there. It's what we do. And the mm-hmm. force isn't light and dark and it exists in this gray area. Right. And that was like the defining message of like the book series going forward, um, especially when dealing with the Jedi temple mm-hmm. and all that. So, I really like that, uh, you know, the idea that, okay, the classic power struggle is going to go away and it's going to get wrapped up in, you know, whatever Luke or Ray chooses to do um, 
in the culmination of episode nine or even in episode eight. Right. So that's really interesting to explore. Um, but in terms of what we saw, uh, at least what we well, only what we saw yeah. <laughs> is I, I do think it's the poster at face value is some Easter eggs hearkening back and confirms a little bit of maybe some, an homage to uh, Luke's path. Mm-hmm. going forward yeah. especially because i do believe he is the referenced last jedi mm-hmm. yeah and just you know going off my theory a little bit more uh what i would also love to see them do um it, i don't i don't know if you necessarily depending on what they want to do with kylo if they want to bring him back to the light side um you could do that uh and then have ray still be that figure who learns how to be the true balance of the force um but i also think it'd be really interesting if Luke is a reluctant teacher to her at the end of episode seven. Kylo is when they're battling. Kylo says, let me teach you. Like I will teach you the ways of the force. Uh, you'll be strong as ever. Um, if Luke doesn't want to teach her, if, I mean, obviously Ray and I, I would assume Ray and Kylo are going to have an encounter again in episode eight. If, he, if Luke is not giving her all the information she needs or she feels he's holding back from her, could Kylo persuade her to learn as well from Snoke? And then you'd have almost that way for her to learn. Okay. She, she learned about the Jedi code in a sense, but she didn't fully understand it. But then she can go to the dark side in a quote unquote dark side and then figure out the further reaches of her powers and her abilities. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's an interesting thing to think about. Uh, I don't know if she'll want to go party at Vader's right. base. You know, it's like, well, maybe you guys aren't that bad. You did kill my best friend, the guy who saved me, Han Solo, right. your father too. Right. I forgive you. Right, yeah. Show me how to use the force. Yeah, it's a little far fetched, but yeah, I'm just trying to. No, I hear you, and I think out. I think it's I think it's very interesting, um, especially because I do expect the mold to be broken mm-hmm. um, in a lot of ways. So what what what, what mold and. Well, we see a mold of um, introduce our characters, uh-huh. show them succeed in a way, and then the, the second setup is all right. They're going to lose. There's going to be a cost mm-hmm. um, for what meddling in the affairs of the enemy. Right. Attack of the clones. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a whole droid army being built. Anakin loses his arm, and yep. yeah, just his arm, um, and then. We see, you know, more of a happy ending, but right. still, the plot the right. plot moves on. Mm-hmm. So, seems same thing with A New Hope. Same mm-hmm. thing with Empire Strikes Back. Uh, so, I'm expecting the mold to be broken, but I'm also expecting the, the the plot to take a turn where Snoke has the upper seemingly has the upper hand, okay. or you know, there's something larger brewing under the surface that'll be unveiled in Episode Nine. All right, one of the other, uh, I mean, one of those molds of Star Wars is the death of a mentor. We had that with Han Solo. We had it with you know, Yoda, with Obi-Wan, with uh, Qui-Gon. Mentors normally die, and because it is titled The Last Jedi, if this does mean that Luke doesn't train her to be a Jedi and that he is going to be the last Jedi regardless of um, how he necessarily plays in with Ray. There'd be people who think, 
or not think that people hoping that this doesn't mean that Luke is going to die. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> do you think that this is a possibility? My favorite thing is where it says, uh, star Wars, um, the last Jedi, <laughs> please don't kill. Him, yeah, please don't kill. Him, yeah, please don't kill. Him. Him. Yeah. Just like all through the, all through the paragraphs, all through the crawl. Um, I, I don't see Luke Skywalker dying. I, I see a movie that ends with Luke Skywalker doing, you know, the Clint Eastwood walking off into the sunset, whether at the end of the franchise, whether at the end of this film. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do not see us seeing Luke Skywalker pass away. Yeah. Uh, I, that was, that crossed my mind, obviously, when I saw that, I was like, The Last Jedi, red lettering, are they going to mm-hmm. kill Luke? But then, but then you think about it, and like this is cynical, but I don't think, based on Lucasfilm's comments, that they're not going to digitally recreate Leia, and I don't anticipate them recasting her either. I don't see them moving into episode nine without Leia and Luke. I don't, because I don't see them killing off or riding off both of the Skywalkers in episode eight. That just, that doesn't seem like they would do that. Um, I mean, they, they could obviously, but I don't see how they would do that. Um, but I completely agree. Right. Especially because the interesting thing about this, the press release, which is <laughs> if you go from the title itself to the colors of the logo yes. to the details of the press release that are normally meaningless. Um, but they do refer to this as the Skywalker saga. Again, they're like, this is the eighth ep- This is the eighth installment of the Skywalker saga, mm-hmm. um, which reinforces a lot of things Kathleen Kennedy has said in the past, that this is a franchise that's going to focus on the Skywalkers. Something that I've pushed back against because if we are in my proposed scenario, going to break away from the Jedi Sith orders and go more of a balanced force where, you don't have to be a Jedi or a Sith. You're just a force wielder. How does the Jedi, how do, how did the Skywalker story continue on knowing that Leia is obviously not going to be a part of the trilogy or part of this franchise past episode nine, maybe mm-hmm. not past episode eight. And then depending on what happens with Luke, I don't anticipate him. If when up, whenever episode 10 happens, if it's in three years after episode nine, or if it's 20 years after episode nine, I don't anticipate Luke Skywalker to be there as well. Um, so do you think that them continuing to call us the Skywalker saga could mean that Ray is a Skywalker or further push to the theory that I've kind of been on board with that Kylo is going to switch. Maybe not if they're, if they are going to get rid of the Jedi order, maybe he won't become a full fledged, good guy sure but he'll at least come the end of episode eight or episode nine he'll realize snoke is not the mentor he thought he was break away from snoke kill snoke and then he is on his own and then it's it's kylo's story from then on yeah i don't i would not be shocked to see a story of redemption Mm -hmm. with kylo on his own it'll be there'll be some other snippets maybe a conversation with luke because i think Luke Skywalker versus Kylo Ren is where this is going. Because I hope so. We're going to see Luke in action. You have to. Um, Whether that's episode eight or nine. If you're Ryan Johnson directing a movie and you get to have Luke Skywalker in it, of course you want to do Mm -hmm. something for him. Uh, Why not? Uh, So uh, I would not be shocked to see Kylo Ren at the end of episode nine, you know, 
be told the full story mm-hmm. because it d- seems like he doesn't know right. the end. Like the only t- two people, you know, three people knew how how it all went down on board the Death Star. Wasn't Luke Skywalker cutting down Vader? Mm-hmm. It was Vader destroying the Emperor. Yeah, the end. All right. What if what if this happens? Just throwing this out there. Episode eight. If they if they do want to build to Kylo and Luke encountering, and they mm-hmm. do want to keep Luke Skywalker around for Episode Nine, the thing the thing about this is it kind of it takes away from Ray a little bit and takes this this trilogy arc away from Ray um, just a little bit. But what if Episode Eight there's a battle, whether it's between Luke and Snoke or Ray and Snoke, and then Snoke is gone, and then Episode Nine. It's Kylo being the head of you know the the the, the resist not the resistance the first order yes I yep. almost said the new order and that's I was like no that's not right um, and the resistance the good guys obviously but uh, he's the head of uh, them but he's also then the head of the Knights of Ren and he's trying and then he is thrust in this power position and he has all these like evil people saying. We need to do this. We need to attack the Senate. We need to attack the Resistance. We need to kill Rey and Luke Skywalker. And then it builds to that battle. And then during that battle between Luke and Kylo, Luke goes, you know, Kylo's talking about, I'm doing this to live up to the legacy that you couldn't do. Right. Because I'm trying to follow Darth Vader. And then Luke goes, like, pushes, force push, throws him on the ground and goes, uh... Darth was the one that saved me. Right. And then he just blows Kylo's mind. Yeah. And yeah, that's, that's yeah. the turn that's happened at the end of nine. You have the happy ending. Luke can walk out of the sunset knowing the, you know, the dark order, the Jedi order, the, not the Jedi, the, <laughs> the, the Sith, Sith the Sith, the, yeah, sure. the whole dark side yeah. is kind of put in the shadows for now. Mm-hmm. And then you can enter into the next trilogy of movies with, Kylo being a prominent figure, Ray being a prominent figure, maybe on separate adventures, maybe they're together um, in, you know, just partners or whatever. Sure. Um, and then you continue that franchise, you continue the franchise that way. Yeah. I, I really, that's, that is actually what I expect. Okay. Um, and I don't know if, I guess we're, if you're in, we're in spoiler territory, this is conversational. Right. But I guess it's not, this is all speculation. Yeah, we are, <laughs> we are deep down the if rabbit hole. We don't see Luke Skywalker and Kylo face off as the climax to episode eight, then we will see an early battle in episode nine where the truth gets told to Mm -hmm. Kylo, at least Luke's version of the truth. And then we'll see Kylo take that to Snoke and that's not going to go over very well. Right. And then we'll see. He'll throw one of his temper tantrums. And then, and then we'll see Kylo and Snoke um, do battle with each other. And we'll see whatever Benicio del Toro is bringing to the movie and we'll see him and Luke and Ray all and Finn and Poe, of course, mm-hmm. too. We'll see we'll see though we'll see all those plot lines collide. And um I think I think it's really interesting. Yeah. I especially Ray's so mysterious mm-hmm. and she's our protagonist. But um Luke and Ren are gonna have a very interesting relationship that I think gets built on built upon in episode eight like Adam Driver says. And it's going to be good. I think it's going to be great. I think it's going to be a movie that Ryan Johnson, as a guy who likes to do smaller movies, is going to hang his hat on Mm -hmm. as one of the best. Yeah. You know, that supersedes 
the great work he did in Looper mm-hmm. and, you know, you know, and puts him in the, a pantheon of saga movies that are also deserving of, you know, an Oscar or something like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we've obviously talked about this a lot. Um, begs the question before we get out of here, are we thinking about this too much? Of course we are. I mean, like we could, I think we, I think I dogged out all the information that I could possibly have gleaned from the title. Um, an Easter egg for episode six is old, you know, it's history and Luke Skywalker, the last Jedi. Mm-hmm. So we can speculate about all the plot that we just did. Uh, but yeah, I think it was worth talking about right. too much. Yeah. I mean, obviously we, we've talked about this a lot, but we could talk about this for another couple hours. I feel like, and still not cover everything yeah, or just it, get really down the rabbit hole of going, okay, well, this is exactly my theory. We're this close from getting out notebooks and writing the screenplay <laughs> as, I, as we imagine it. Yeah, which is, <laughs> that'd be kind of fun. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, this is, this is the thing that only happens with star Wars. Like, when the next DC movie comes out, like gets announced or the next Marvel movie gets announced, you don't, we're not going to think about, okay, well, what does this mean for Mm -hmm. 50 minutes or however long we've been talking about this? Um, So to wrap this whole discussion up, now we have a title. When will we see some actual footage from episode eight? Definitely before May. Mm -hmm. Um, because we're, we'll see a first trailer, we'll see some B-roll and some sizzle reel stuff at Comic-Con, and then we'll see the second trailer, and then we'll have the, the run-up marketing. Right. So, I think May 4th is the the prime date for it. Star Wars Day. Really? Yep. I mean, that is... Or the, the New Hope's anniversary. That's a day before, or I guess that'd be the opening night showings for Guardians 2 would be May 4th. Um, but if if I'd put money on it, I would split the money in two ways, but half of it on coming out and being attached to Beauty and the Beast, uh, which comes out at the end of March. Or if they want to, they'll hold off a couple more weeks, do it the mid to late April, Star Wars Celebration in Orlando. Uh, I know there's a lot of Star Wars fans who went to Star Wars Celebration uh, in 2016 that were really unhappy with the lack of announcements that came out. Uh, And I think Lucasfilm's going to overdo it this year, give you Star Wars 8 teaser at Orlando, May, and then it announced the third anthology film as well. Um, so that's when I think, because I think obviously we'll definitely have it by Guardians too, which is May 5th. Absolutely. So, uh, obvi- I mean, in either case, I think Kathleen Kennedy is confirmed it's coming in the spring. So I think late March, mid April mm-hmm. uh, is the prime suspect yeah. for it. I think you're right about celebration with the third anthology movies title and some actors and all, a lot of news for that. And then some Han Solo stuff, but I, yeah. do, I really do think they're going to wait until May the 4th I because think, it, you couldn't have lined it up any better I, with a major I, property like that. Yeah. But I still, if you, I mean, obviously it doesn't matter. They could, they could have dropped the trailer at 3 a.m on a Sunday night and that thing is going to blow up the internet in November. Right. On November 67th at like, well, and, I'm talking the, like the month before this movie comes out. Oh, wait till and I'll November. still be, I'll still be stoked for it because yeah. I, well, have you heard like Adam driver again, tangenting, but Adam driver was like, like an interview, like a month or two ago. I was like, I love the idea 
of, of Lucasfilm not releasing any marketing for the movie. I was yeah, like, I love it too. Oh, that'd be so awesome. <laughs> I, it would drive me nuts. If we had the title and we could just spec about the title and what it meant for another 11 months, it would probably drive me a little crazy because I'd be like, okay, well, I have to think of something new because I'm getting no information on the movie. But I, yeah, I, would, I mean, I would love to walk into episode eight knowing and seeing nothing outside of it's called the last Jedi It's picking up exactly where episode seven ended here you are could you imagine that experience it's like oh. we're we're in a world now where you can't you if you wanted to know what happens in episode eight i think you could probably log online right now and find everything no way or close to everything i think you could or piece together a lot Maybe. Um, i mean Maybe. there was rumors of han solo's death Right, years before but I think, seven. I, but I think that, that's just like that's just speculation. I don't think you're. I'm sure if if we had nothing but speculation to go on for a year, we could. We would, at some point, we would probably speculate about any single or every single plot point that could happen in episode eight. That's true. Um, and we would maybe get fifty percent of the movie right. Yeah. But yeah, I, I just love. It, it would never. It can never happen. But that'd be such a cool experience just to walk into a theater mm-hmm. and like. I, I remember watching episode seven and just like being at the theater opening night, you get that sense of every other Star Wars fan. And we were there together and you're just like, this is so exciting. If they, if there was no marketing for episode eight and we, that experience would be heightened like a, by a billion. Absolutely. Because you'd just be like, you'd have yeah. literally no idea what you're going to see. It, well, in heart, it would, it, and that's the part of star wars when it first came out that was so cool was mm-hmm. people walked in because there was virtually no marketing for that movie yeah it fox thought it was going to come out they were gonna have to cut their losses yep. and move on but it turned out to be something completely different right and yeah here we are today obviously that's not how hollywood works now and i'm glad because i, I could not wait until december wait another 11 months and not know anything else uh, about the film so I'm looking forward to the next 11 months speculating. We will speculate a lot about this uh, movie. That's our job here. <laughs> yes. Uh, if you have any thoughts about the title, let us know. Uh, we would have loved to discuss your guys' theories as well, but nobody sent them in. So uh, we ask on Twitter normally, uh, or even if we don't ask, send them in anyways. Uh, and we will read your comments on air about a movie that we're reviewing or a movie we're not reviewing or the trailer for a film or any news topic. If you send us your um, comments on it, we will mention it and see if uh, your opinions differ or match up with ours. Um, but that's it for this episode. So if you do that, do it for the next one. Um, we don't know what we're going to review. We might do a retro review or we're going to do a 2016 best of list because we have not, done that yet given our top 10 films of the year maybe give some special uh, awards of the of our own from the friends of film podcast that i'm sure all the actors and nominees would love to know that they they won a best blank award from this podcast (laughs) but uh you'll have to wait until next week to find out what exactly we are doing uh during our time away be sure to tell us your thoughts on everything we covered by between us at friends and film where you receive updates on the podcast, movie news, and more. You can follow me personally on Twitter at coops underscore hoops. And you can follow me, Josh, at just Joshua Ryan. And if you enjoyed this episode and all of these theories, please subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud, and then share this episode with fellow Star Wars enthusiasts so we can uh, 
we can spread our theories and maybe we can get some new theories as well from you guys. Uh, so just share it on social media on any platform you want uh, and tag us in it because then we can know that you're sharing it and we can uh, maybe retweet your tweet, follow you guys, do something uh, special to thank you guys for uh, just sharing the podcast. Um, plus, head over to iTunes, give us a f- uh, five-star review preferably be honest obviously if there's something we can improve on maybe we only deserve the four stars Uh, but let us know what we could improve on so uh we can keep you listening but that's it for us josh thanks for stopping by everybody thanks again for tuning in to the friends of the podcast be sure to tune in next week for whatever we're gonna do